1: Welcome back to the New Books and Political Science Podcast. Uh, my name is Heath Brown and uh, this week I have the chance to talk to a good friend and colleague, the author of White Working Class Voices, Multiculturalism, Community Building and Change. The book is published by Policy Press and the author is Harris Bader. Harris, how are you today?
0: I'm so pleased to be here, Heath, and yeah. talking to, with you.
1: Yeah, I, I ha- read the book in the fall. And we're just now getting the chance to talk about it uh, for the podcast, and I'm so excited to get to it. Um,
0: before we get to it, why don't you share just a little bit about who you are? Yeah, sure. So, um, I should say, my name is Harris Bader, I'm a visiting professor in the School of International and Public Affairs at Columbia University, and have been there teaching on comparative race and politics and global perspectives of migration for the last three years. And uh, I'm also professor in community cohesion at the Center for Trust, Peace and Social Relations at Coventry University in England. So a a dual personality.
1: Yeah, and a a broad, such an interesting research agenda, um, including this book that came out in 2015 by Policy Press. Your book is important for so many reasons. But it's important because it was written before Brexit and before Trumpism, um, and and while you may not have predicted either, um, I think we can learn so much about the roots of each of these phenomena from your book. Um, so 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 that's sort of the background. I'd like yeah. to come to that in just a little bit. Um, but before that, let's talk about the actual book that you've written. Um, much of this book is a, is a meditation on the meaning of class. Mm. In the, in the British context, what does class mean and why is it so important to understand?
0: Perhaps the second qu- part of your question is easier than the first part either. Because mm-hmm. class is one of those issues and concepts that is so contestable and so difficult to pin down, but it's played such an important role in British cultural life. So if you go back way a hundred years and looked at the way that um, government defined class uh, after the post-war, post-first world war period, um, it was based on your occupation. So that was at a time when people left school, went to work, stayed in the same job throughout their lives, and uh, retired. So. There's a strong stratification between upper class, middle class, working class. Now, working class were people in skilled and unskilled jobs they are typically working in primary industries like shipbuilding, coal mining, steel, working in factories, uh, insecure work, low paid, low skilled, and they were seen as working class. Middle class were uh, viewed as uh, almost like administrators and clerical staff and middle managers, uh, not working in factories. And the upper class were typically viewed as uh, people with uh, inherited money and wealth uh, who uh, didn't have to work necessarily, Uh, but if they were working, they were lawyers and doctors. So, people knew their sense of place in terms of class. Uh, it was occupationally based, and of course, over the last 100 years or so in the UK, it's become much more difficult to pin down what class actually means because society has changed and the economy has changed and uh, class has moved and shifted from less about your occupation and economics and more about your, your, your cultural affiliation. So, it's gone from a, some would argue, from a Marxist perspective to... Uh, a Bordeauxian perspective uh, around class, and and that that makes it very, very messy and difficult, I think, to supply a meaning.
1: Now, as you're just sort of alluding to, um, the decline of industrial Britain, in many ways, it feels like it's been uh, dramatized (laughs) uh, more often than in the United States, even if very similar things were going on. Now, uh, with that said, uh, and, and even though you feel like maybe you've seen this story told, um, you know, even in the movies, um, I wonder if you'd describe a bit more about how the changing socio-political landscape over the last several decades has shifted political parties and also allegiances in Britain, I- including the rise of new labor mm. and also the UKIP party.
0: Well, it, it, it's, Terribly, terribly interesting, in the 1950s, uh, the majority of people in the workforce in the UK were members of trade unions, and uh, the the large majority. And now it's the minority of workers are in trade unions. In the 1950s and 60s, the Labour Party was seen as a party of the working class, um, representing the interests of workers, of trade unionists. and uh, advocating on their behalf. From the last 50, 60 years, that's changed. You you mentioned new labour and I think the interesting thing for me is uh, that there's several things that were happening at the same time. Changes in the economy, the decline of manufacturing industry, the shedding of jobs in coal mining, in steel, in shipbuilding. Uh, But alongside that, the growing professionalisation, of, of people, more people going into uh, college, university, as we say say here in the UK, uh, a wider set of co- qualifications. The role of women in the workplace: uh, women were uh, seen as, a, as an essential part of of the workforce. Uh, so, the shifts and changes that have happened over the last fifty or sixty years has uh, has impacted. On our view of class, now you speak you speak about politics, and of course, uh, the decline of old labor to new labor, uh, the move to the center ground, the embrace, if you will, of the market and the rejection, if you will, of the state um, under Tony Blair, and, uh, was terribly successful in terms of electoral politics. I mean, let's not forget that Tony Blair. Uh, from 1997 general election, won three general elections uh, in a row and was seen as the dominant politician of his generation. So the new Labour project to some would be seen as being very successful, but it did it. uh, It succeeded, some would argue, uh, on the basis of rejecting its roots within the working class. And of course, if parties move to the centre ground, you know as well as me, it opens up a a flank for uh, other parties uh, to come in. And I think essentially that's what's happened is UKIP and other far-right parties have uh, occupied the ground or tried to occupy the ground that the Labour Party has vacated. And they're appealing on issues on immigration, on uh, trust, on authenticity. that Labour has found it very, very difficult to keep pace. So in fact, far right parties in the UK, uh, their their slogan uh, at some elections in the immediate past is vote for us, vote for us, we're the Labour party that your grandparents used to vote for. So I think that's a very telling phrase in terms of uh, how politically classes become very fragmented. and. Uh, people's allegiances have shifted from the 1950s to where we are now.
1: Now, your method here is is really interesting um, because this isn't just a book of of political history telling. Um, how did you do this research? And and in, in explaining that, was it easy to collect data on the white working class?
0: I was motivated by, to do to do this uh, by my own personal story of. Uh, Grown up in Birmingham in a in a multicultural, diverse inner city area uh, in the Birmingham in England, Uh, but going to high school in a largely white, low income neighbourhood on on, uh, that was poor, Um, and I experienced uh, racism for the first time as a as a non-white person as a second generation son of Pakistani. Migrants who came to the UK, and and that was a very telling period for me because uh, the perpetrators were white working class kids, and for a while I I, I was I was very unhappy, but eventually um, those same kids became my friends. Uh, I was embraced with open arms by their parents, and uh, they they and they have still remain my friends now. Rolling that forward into my adult life, and uh, recognising the way that white working class communities were were seen as being problematic, uh, as being having dysfunctional families, of, of yeah, of being supporters of the far right, that wasn't my view. So uh, of it and my experiences, so I wanted to do something about it. So the. The book was birthed uh, by those personal motivations and supported by uh, some very generous funding from the Joseph Retry Rant- Foundation initially um, and I think my view of doing this research is that uh, as, as as research it's, it's challenging and difficult because people suss academics out very quickly in terms of whether they view them as being patronizing or lacking credibility so uh, i wanted to be myself and tell them a bit about my story uh, in terms of affinity, um, but also be totally straight with them and challenge people, um, got access to uh, working class communities through working with community workers, community organisations on the ground, um, but spent a lot of time initially just talking informally to people. Um, and then building their trust uh, and and then having a very robust exchange of ideas. And I think one of the wonderful things, I think, about doing this research and writing the book is uh, the richness of the data that comes forward and the way people speak uh, with uh, with a lot of candor about uh, their views on a whole uh, panoply of issues. So uh, I I think I really enjoy that. Doing qualitative work—it's um, very tested, and very challenging. But I think you get so much depth and so much richness of data uh, uh, that it's a very rewarding experience.
1: And and what did this approach allow you to conclude about specifically about issues of race and multiculturalism? Because this this up close, the the, the interviews and the, the very first hand accounts that you're able to collect in the book, it seems allows you a different perspective on this, but but, but where, where do you end up on, on the issues of race and multiculturalism related to the white working class? Well,
0: here's the thing, Keith, because um, I think both in, the, uh, both in the States and in the UK, uh, our traditional view of white working class people is that they are, uh, they are problematic, they are racist, they uh, reject multiculturalism, they blame multiculturalism, and immigration for their current economic and social situation, and that's been received wisdom, and it's been portrayed in the newspapers, in in uh, within the academic community, uh, and also through uh, television and and radio. Now, I was always very skeptical of that because of the experiences I had growing up uh, in in Birmingham, um, and what we found out is that there is a bandwidth of different views within the white working-class community that has not been given credence or credit for. So, white views were very progressive on multiculturalism, on issues around race. People spoke personally about having diverse families of uh, being supporting anti-racist initiatives within the local communities. Uh, So the view that we traditionally have around white working class communities on race and multiculturalism, I think, uh, was challenged. And and I'm pleased about that because uh, that was certainly uh, my view for a a long time. And it's important that data bears out. Now, am I saying that white working class, every white working class person is the most supreme anti-racist? No, I'm not saying that at all. So some of the views and people read the book, uh, people will say, well, how can you say that this is bandwidth? Because people are saying some of using very racialized language. Now, they do use racialized language, but alongside that, there were lots of people who uh, took a a very different perspective. And so I think it's important to redress the balance. And hopefully the book will uh, go some way in doing that.
1: Now, given this more nuanced um, uh, description uh, that comes out of your research you, you do this re- the book is came out in two thousand and fifteen you you did the work prior to that I imagine in two thousand and thirteen and two thousand and fourteen based on that um, how did that shape uh, your anticipation of the politics behind the brexit vote? Um, did this mm. allow you to to have a um uh, the expectations of what was ultimately to come, or did, did this make you more skeptical of, of what was to come? So place this into that context.
0: Ah. Well, I mean, I, w- I don't want to be seen as an oracle, for the mm-hmm. best, but, but I, I really did think several things. Firstly, I think I thought there was a huge disconnect between white working class communities and the political class. Uh, It was much deeper uh, than uh, I think many people, pollsters or academics, researchers viewed that. So there's a depth of disconnection. There's a certainly white working class communities felt they weren't represented by any political, mainstream political party. And they were fed up with the continuing perilous plight economic plight that they have and the fragility of employment. Now putting that forward uh, in terms of Brexit, you have a very disconnected group of voters, Uh, you have a very unpopular political class and uh, you have deep mistrust in the institutions of the state. To me, it wasn't a huge surprise uh, that people voted for Brexit on that basis. Um, I think Brexit came, there was a perfect storm, as I've alluded to, uh, in terms of the way people felt. And the narrative that stemmed from Brexit, and there's lots of different views of why it happened and who voted and so on and so forth, but essentially, People punished the political class and the establishment through Brexit. Uh, Many people voted against their economic interests, but politically and culturally, they took a rational choice that they were fed up with their position and they wanted to send out a clear message to their political representatives—that something had to change—and of course we're living now with the consequences uh, of that. Yeah, n- not not
1: just uh, in the UK. Mm. Um, your interests um, have have uh, extended, and and not to put you on the spot, but you have <laughs> a new project that I know a little bit about, and I don't want to give uh, uh, have you give away all of the uh, the spoil your next book, but but would you give us just a little preview? of 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 how this book that's already out, White Working Class Voices, yeah. connects to the, the current project that you're working on.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, so this project that uh, we started uh, last year is funded by Open Society Foundation, US Programs. It's called The Other America, and white working class uh, views on belonging, change, identity, and immigration. So a five-city project, interviewing 350 people across those five cities, including 225 people uh, in focus groups. So, using similar types of methodology. Now, the fascinating thing about this project, which concludes in June 2017, is that it straddles the presidential election uh, in 2016. And again, We've completed 295 interviews out of 350. Uh, most, of these, most of those were, took place before the presidential uh, election in November 2016. And again, very similar issues emerged. Disconnection, despair, uh, people f- were hurting economically. They were hurting culturally in terms of the impact of immigration. But again, a wide vi- a wide variety of views in terms of issues around race and multiculturalism, difference and diversity. Uh, but I always say to said to people, I think you and I have had this conversation uh, several times. Is yeah, some of our friends in New York, who uh, uh, yeah, very progressive liberal, they they said to me that Clinton was was going to win by. 10 points in the presidential election. And I kept on saying to him, well, I think it's going to be much closer than this because I've been out speaking to people on the ground, speaking to them, speaking to them for one and a half hours rather than the five minutes that survey companies do. And I think there's a, there's a huge well of support, uh, uh, for the type of issues that Trump was putting forward. And lo and behold, as we all know, uh, from that long night in November, that, uh, uh, Clinton was defeated, electoral college, and 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 Trump won. And the types of issues that Trump put forward, queued directly into some of the themes that uh, the new project uh, has uncovered. So it's been absolutely fascinating. Uh, it's been an incredible privilege doing this current project as well, um, and. Uh, Hopefully, some of the data and analysis that will come out in June, and in in my next book, uh, which is due to be published in back in the 2018, uh, early 2019, uh, will will add to the body of work that I and lots of other very good people have uh, have uh, generated over the last uh, three to five years.
1: Yeah, well, you must promise to come back with the with the forthcoming book. And until then, White Working Class Voices, Multiculturalism, Community Building and Change is available. Uh, the book is published by Policy Press. You've been hearing from Harris Bader. Harris, thank you so much for your time today. This has been
0: so wonderful, Heath. Thank you so much.